Thank you for joining Bevel Talk, Season 4, Episode 3. Hydrogen-induced cracking is an important issue in the welding industry. Today we're talking about taking a deeper dive into preheating. Why, when, and how. Let's get right into it. Welcome back to Bevel Talk. Thanks for joining us today. We're joined again with Al Sherrill from Miller Electric, induction heating specialist. Al, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so today... I want to talk a little bit more in depth about preheating. I know a couple of times in the previous episodes we've mentioned it, but but let's really walk through the steps of preheating. What is it? Why we do it? When we do it? And and so on and so forth. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, really, welding operations really dynamic, right? You're melting and then you're freezing the metal back up, and uh, it causes a lot of stresses, right? So. Um, you're working with really thin material. You'll see it uh, It sort of warps a little bit. It can give a little bit because it's thinner material, right? But as you get thicker and thicker material, um, those stresses don't have as many places to go. The thick material likes to hold it there. So there's not as many places for things to escape or things to move. Uh, so there's stresses involved. There's uh, hydrogen involved. We mentioned that before. Uh, all that kind of stuff is uh, – stuff we would like to avoid. So we can use heat to avoid that stuff or to minimize it. So preheating is, it's, it's really that uh, way of helping to bake out all the, the hydrogen. I mean, a lot of times you can, you can easily see that in moisture, right? So uh, you think about water, it's hydrogen and oxygen, right? And uh, so when you start melting metal and having moisture in a spot, you're going to make a lot of hydrogen. So you want to make sure that it's dry so preheating the material will help dry it off. Um, it'll help out drive uh, drive hydrogen out. The other thing it really does is that uh, that metallurgical process of uh, freezing the joint back up after you've melted the metal. Um, it causes some metallurgical changes, and the faster you let it cool down, the harder and more brittle it gets. Uh, that's just a, some of the metallurgical properties of it. So if we slow that heating process down, or I'm sorry, if we slow the freezing process down, uh, you can make it less brittle, right? Uh, so preheating is really just getting it up to a temperature for whatever material you're on. And so different materials need different heat levels to help you with that, minimize that hydrogen and to slow that cooling rate down to, to make the material less brittle. So you start looking at these uh, different materials and you say, well, I see a lot of people welding without preheating. So, right, there's there's a lot of people out there that don't use preheat. And uh, you just sort of realize that, you know, not not all metal needs to be preheated when they can relieve those stresses or there's no not a, a low hydrogen process already in place. So when do you do it really, right? Um, most of the time you're dealing with thicker materials, all right? If I'm dealing with something... I think uh, the D11 says over three-quarter inch. Uh, some of the codes say one inch. Uh, you start getting to the thicker materials where that those stresses can't move around or where it really traps hydrogen in there and there's no way of getting it out. That's when they really start requiring preheat. Um, and there's the, the codes do say some thinner materials have to be preheated as well and then some alloys even. Uh, there's, you know, you get to some of the, the chrome mollies and you have to preheat all that material. You can't weld any of it together without preheating. So again, that's where the, the material engineers, the, you know, welding engineers and metallurgists of the world have, you know, transposed that all to the codes and the codes are sort of the layman's way of going in and saying, do I need to preheat or not? 
right? And so that's that's what's really going to drive it for most people is do the code call out for it? Does my procedure call out for it? And uh, the temperature will usually be defined there. Um, so it's nothing that Miller dictates. It's nothing that the, the welder dictates. It's all from these intelligent people that have made these codes and done all this work before us. So let them do the work and we just uh, weld, right? Right. So is there any, you know, common, you know, rule of thumb type thicknesses that should be preheated or uh, common temperatures of, hey, preheat is this? I know rule of thumb is difficult because everything's so important and critical to weld to the specification. But is there just a, some sort of a like a mental flag that, that our guys and the listeners in the audience can think about, hey, you know, if it's this thick, I should check and make sure or, you know. Yeah, that's sort of all over the place. It's it's nothing that I'd want to take on myself. I'd want to really check with an engineer or with the code or whatever because the codes really call out different temperatures for different thicknesses with different materials. It's different. So it's all over the place. But, I mean, the majority of the stuff that I see out in the field, I mean, just from experience and seeing what people are heating to, there's an awful lot of people that are preheating carbon steels to that, you know, 250-degree range uh, that I see. Uh, but, but yet I don't dictate that. The code dictates what temperature is going to, they're going to. Um, more and more lately, you're seeing a lot of people going to 400 degrees, and it's because they're working with more alloys that, uh, you know, they're not just carbon steels anymore. They're working with some more chrome or, or something in the material that requires it to be hotter. Um, so, you know, I think that 250 degree and that 400 degree level are, is what I see a lot in the field. But again, that's nothing you're going to know just by saying, hey, I got a two inch piece of material. I'm going to heat it up to this today. It really should be, you know, consult with the code, which was really driven by a lot of smart people that determine what temperatures are best. So that's that's what you should really do is consult with that code or an engineer that knows the code and follow that. That way you make sure you're good. Right. Well, and, and the code really is there to for two reasons, right? One, to, to help us know what to expect in, in terms of service life of a, of a part or a unit that's been welded and heated and, and treated. And the other one is for safety to make sure that it's actually going to act like it's supposed to in service. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it really is safety driven more yeah. than anything else. Business as usual can cost you thousands of dollars each year and waste hundreds of hours of productive time. Investing in ArcReach technology from Miller can add up to big savings. See how much you can save at MillerWelds.com slash ArcReach. So walk me through and I know it's going to be hard visually for our listeners, but walk me through. I walk up to a weld joint. I'm getting ready to preheat it with an induction heating unit. Mm -hmm. How do I do it? Okay. Well, I mean, uh, that's that's a good thing because that's the same thing I do. I mean, I've been working with this stuff for several years, but I still walk up to a job and I start envisioning how I would want to wind a coil around it, right? So I got to think about a couple of things, what temperatures I'm going to. Um, the temperatures are going to dictate what kind of thermocouple feedback I'm going to use, uh, if I'm going to use insulation or how thick of insulation I'm going to use, um, and then the length of coil I'm going to use. Um, so all those things can be looked at one at a time. So if I walk up to a job, and let's just take for an example a 12-inch pipe. Let's say I got a 12-inch pipe and I need to heat it to 250 degrees. Um, how thick a wall? Well, let's, let's just go with an inch thick okay. just to make some simple example, right? Okay. So the first thing I would look at is that, well, I'm going to 250 degrees. I want to use some insulation on it. 
Um, I can use a preheat temperature probe because my preheat temperature probe can go up to 500 degrees. So I don't have to worry about uh, having thermocouple wires and a thermocouple attachment unit and all that stuff for higher temperatures. I know I can use the probes. So that'll make my setup a little simpler. Um, and seeing that it's 12 inch, um, just from experience, I know using a, a 50 foot long heating cable and with a few turns on each side is usually very sufficient. Um, so I would walk up to that 12 inch pipe. I would uh, put my insul apply my insulation, uh, tie it down if I have to, if it doesn't stay in place so I can wind the coil around it. And, uh, you know, I'll wind the coil around it and get my setup done. That all usually takes about 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, to wind the insulation and put the coil around it. And then you slide a couple of probes in. And then um, you go over to the machine and put in the set point that you want to put. So something important to realize here is that the heated zone is usually, as we said before, a few inches away from where the actual weld joint is. So if my real temperature, if I want that weld joint to be 250 degrees, I actually got to heat up the area I'm heating a little bit hotter than that because you're going to lose some heat. There's always when, when heat's conducting through a material it, lo it loses heat as it goes along because some of the heat's going to conduct through the material. Some of it's going to be radiating out into the air. Um, some of it's going to be radiate. I mean, when we talk about the heat transfer, transfer methods, there's conduction, convection, and radiation, right? So those losses are happening as that material is, or the, that heat is propagating through the material. So if I want my, if I want my weld joint to be 250, I'm going to go over to my machine and I'm going to program in something like 280 or 300, whatever is within my welding procedure, uh, below the inner pass, maximum inner pass, but to that temperature I want to be. And uh, so I got to go over there and, and plug in that 300 degrees or whatever I'm going to plug in, and then I'm ready to go. Uh, so a typical setup, let's say with a simple 12-inch 12, 12 pipe, is, uh, you know, 10 to 15 minutes and you're running. Um, and then 12-inch pipe with a 1-inch wall would probably be up to 300 degrees within a couple of minutes. And then you're about ready to weld. So a lot of guys who are self-performing this, they're going to wind that up. And then they're going to go over and they're going to hit heat on and then they're going to start getting their welding torch and all their feeder set and all their settings done. Really, by the time they're done doing that, it's usually up to temperature for them, ready to start welding. So it's a very quick process for them. So that's that's like a first example, right? A 12 inch pipe. Um, let's take another example. Let's say we're going to heat up a plate. Okay. Right? Let's say I'm heating up this uh, seam weld on a 10 foot long uh seam welder and it's a one inch thick plate. So I'm going to be using sub arc or something like that to weld this together. And I need to heat it up to a couple hundred degrees. Well, I still walk up to this thing and I look at that 10 foot long plate. Well, I got to have a few turns on each side. So now I'm going to be probably working with a little bit longer coil, or I might even decide to use two different coils, one on each side of the seam. Uh, there's methods and techniques you can use to do it either way. Depends on what kind of cables you have, you know, on hand. Or, uh, you know, if you have a lot of different lengths of cables, you might have the luxury of just using one long cable and winding a few turns on each side of the joint in what we call a pancake coil. So, again, this is a type of coil that you just wind. It sort of looks like a racetrack. Or if you if you think about a, a an element on top of your stove, how it looks like a spiral-looking thing, and you stretch that spiral out to be 10 foot long, that's what it would look like. I, I, I think a racetrack is a good description of it, right? So you race one, you could put a cable down on one side, and then you turn around and you come down the other way. You do that a few times, and uh, you'll have a pancake coil that'll heat up very nicely as well. 
So you think 10 feet, well, each each turn is going to be 10 foot down and 10 foot back. So it's 20 foot per turn. If I'm going to do three turns, that's 60 feet of cable. So if I want to have three turns on each side of the joint, now I need 120 feet of cable, right? So I can use 140 foot cable and do that all with one cable. Um, or I can pick two 80 foot cables and run them in parallel. Uh, a lot of different options you can get. So again, it gives you that, what do I have on hand and how am I going to use it? And so that might take another 15 minutes to set up, throw a few thermocouples under it, um, and and you're ready to go. So again, these setups usually take anywhere from 10, to, uh, the longer setups might take 20 minutes or something like that, pretty so, quick. So with that that 10 foot seam weld that you're you're talking about, mm-hmm. how long do you think it would take to get up to temperature? Well, now on we're average? we're talking a little bit more mass now, right? So. Uh, before, when we had the little 12-inch pipe, uh, you figure 12-inch, you got about a three-foot circumference, so one-inch thick for a three-foot uh, area, whatever you want to say, the length or, or whatever the circumference of that pipe. Since you're only dealing with that much mass, you might be dealing with 100 pounds or something like that. Now, when you go to this 10-foot seam, right, now we're talking 10-foot long, uh, so you're going to be tripling the time, basically. So if it took me a few minutes to do with the pipe probably take me 10, 15 minutes to do on the seam weld. And then the temperature you're going to is going to make a difference there too. The higher the temperature, the, the longer it takes. But uh, incredibly, I mean, I've, I've done things like a four-inch thick plate for like shovel buckets and stuff like that. And uh, a 12-inch wide area, um, 12 feet long by about four inches thick, took me about 40 minutes to bring up to 400 degrees. And for people wow. who who do this and know how long it takes them with torches, that's sort of one of those things you look at and it's sort of your jaw drops a little bit. Like, how fast? Are you sure? And it's like, yeah, that's that's what it does, you know. You apply this uh, power output, which Miller has a 35 kilowatt unit that works very nice. 35 kilowatts of power is pretty appreciable. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's hard to describe 35 kilowatts over the phone or over the, over the microphone or anything right. like that. So uh, really it it usually takes somebody to look at it and see the difference on how fast it comes up to temperature to get an idea of what 35 kilowatts means. So you know. when they were doing that bucket with torches, how long um, approximately was oh, it taking? About them? three hours. Uh, so you went from three hours down to 40 minutes. And, and granted, there was like a 15-minute setup time there. But the other thing is that after that three hours, when people are working with torches, they'll weld on it a while and then it cools down. And they have to crack the torches on again and heat it up for another 20, 30 minutes to get it back up to temperature. So they're doing that throughout a day. And all of a sudden, this two hours that I used to spend on heating is now two hours of welding. And I'm getting that, that bucket done much quicker. And then not only that, I'm putting out, you know, three of them a day instead of two a day. And so that's a lot of a lot of money for the company. So all that stuff starts to make sense. And all of a sudden, that little capital cost we talk about at one time of what a unit cost sort of flows away when you start realizing, hey, I'm selling more product in the same space and I'm making a lot more money. And that helps out. You know, that's that's what does it. Right. So I know you've been working with induction heating for many years. Have you run into any myths or misconceptions about induction heating or preheating that you'd like to talk about? Well, I mean uh, – there's there's a few. I mean, I think that uh, the the big one that I hear that sort of makes you grin a little bit is that oh, you can't use it to to heat up P ninety one material. Um, you know, there's some people out there that are you know defending what they do for a living, which is fine. You know, and they try and figure out a way to 
you know, how can I make my method look better than that method? And, and uh, they'll find some nuance about it. But uh, really, we, we heat up P91 for preheat and stress relief, and we've had people doing it for 20 years, you know. So we have high confidence that things work well with it. Um, as long as they're setting it up right, it'll work right. So, yeah. Okay. Perfect. Well, thanks for joining us today, Al. Thanks for joining us, listeners, on Bevel Talk. We look forward to listening to speaking with you next time. All right. Thanks.